0: Stand-up comedy was a not sort of considered an art form serious enough to right. sort of focus on itself. It was TV. It was partly TV. It was partly theater. Uh, but there were no stand-up comedy critics around. And no one, I think, was really looking at it in a serious historical, from a serious historical perspective. And, and so suddenly it just struck me as that there was a, a need for a book like that and to celebrate these guys who I thought were so important, who had such an impact on me, and I think on the whole culture. This is Tokyo Tonight.
1: Tonight. Hey, hey,
0: what's Hi going guys. on, sir? Everything's good. Awesome. Great to be With you.
1: Great you, know, to be here. you know what? I love it. One of the things I liked about this book, too, is, again, I said I was a fan of the timeline stuff because I like kind of it's hard to kind of, you know, take a moment in time and go, you know, this is how it happened in the order that it happened, even when you're talking right. to people, you know, even, even when I've talked to the comedians who were there at that time, sometimes. Their memory's a little foggy, you know, they're not journalists, so they're not really like documenting right. things. And they're just like, Oh man. But what I right. loved about this was, you know, I always had an inkling um, of how influential comedians were to um, you know, the, uh, Oh, the zeitgeist, you know, like they, you know, I would hear people say something funny or somebody else said something like a friend said something. And I'd be like, man, I feel like as a comedy fan, I'm like, I feel like I've heard that before and somewhere. And then as I started getting into the business too, you kind of realize people are connected, you know, like, um, who's working with Fallon show that used to work on John Stewart, you know, whatever, like it's a, it's a very like a uh, big web of a world kind of thing. And you point that out in this book beautifully. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. How did you like, was that something you knew going in? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of always was a fan of stand up comedy growing up, uh, you know,
0: from the old Early George Carlin days through, you know, Bill Cosby, Robert Klein, everybody. Uh, uh, but I all, I saw them as a generation, the, particularly mm. the group that began kind of with Carlin and Pryor, right, uh, in the years after Lenny Bruce died. Um, that I saw that that was the real sort of golden age of standup, and no one had had really put it all together in a history in a chronological way. It just as you say. Uh, who influenced who, who came next, mm-hmm. uh, the different strands, uh, the comedy club boom of the 70s, uh, the, the kind of uh, anti-comedy uh, tra- strain of, of sort of uh, uh, Steve Martin, Albert Brooks, um, the, the, the club guys like Robert Klein and um, Robin Williams. And anyway, yeah. I, I just saw them all connected because they were all coming up around the same time, the same generation. And um, I I just wanted to do a history, and that that I consider myself sort of a a, a
1: cultural historian. So, uh, and you and you lived through it, like at the time too, which is cool because you were you you really were like the guy who went to these clubs and saw these guys perform, and you know, yeah. I I was I was first of all when I was
0: a kid, I would listen to them. You know, I was uh, buying records and listening to records, and then I moved to New York, and in the seventies, I was uh, going to. The improv and Catch a Rising Star. I remember, you know, the improv, going, the, the day I saw for the first time uh, Richard Lewis and uh, and Andy Kaufman on the same bill. But, you know, both guys I'd, I'd never, you know, heard of
1: before. And, right. And, uh, you know,
0: it was just amazing the kind of talent you could see on just an average night in those days.
1: Yeah. And that was when you were documenting it, like, were you like, this is going to be a book one day? Or were you just like, this is too, you know, like, do you have that kind of foresight?
0: Yeah, no, I probably didn't think uh, that this is going to be a book someday. I was just living it. That's and cool. then I became a journey know, and I worked I uh, was a writer for Time magazine for many years. And I, I didn't really think I wanted to do a book because I was kind of addicted to the sort of weekly, week in, week out journalism and covering. I was the television critic for Time. I did uh, other things, a lot of right. other for time. but And I never wanted to sort of stop and do a book. But what occurred to me is that no one was really at the time, and we're talking 10 or 15 years ago, there weren't people covering stand-up comedy. Stand-up comedy was a not sort of considered an art form serious enough to right. sort of focus on itself. It was TV. It was partly TV. It was partly theater. Uh, but there were no stand-up comedy critics around. And no one, I think, was really looking at it in a serious historical, from a serious historical perspective. And and so suddenly it just struck me as that there was a a need for a book like that and to celebrate these guys who I thought were so important, who had such an impact on me and I think on the whole culture.
1: Yeah. I We have a lot, I mean, people have a, a weird relationship with journalists, you know, and um, I don't know if that's just a perception today, you know what I mean? Like comedy wise, like there's always like, it's very clickbaity, you know how it is. Like people are always looking for an angle, whether to say somebody slams somebody else or looking for the controversy. Did uh comedians when you went to write about them, did they how were they how were they how were they responding to you back then?
0: Oh, very very well. Um cool. almost virtually everybody talked to me. Um Carlin was still around in a great interview and very very gracious and sat for a long time with me.
1: He seemed to be very approachable and very. Uh, we had yeah. Kelly Carlin on, and she's amazing, and I'm sure you know her too. Um, and uh, but he always seemed. I've, I've never met him. I wish I had. But like, he seemed very friendly, even towards comedians, which most I feel, I feel like, uh, you know, the comedians that are around today usually are like, don't look him in yeah. the eye. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, if he does come into a guest spot, don't say hello, and you're like, fuck, yeah. all right, I guess I'll just. Um, so and virtually everyone I went to,
0: um, prior, unfortunately was, he was still alive, but he was, uh, you know, not in yeah. very good shape. So I did not get to talk to him, but virtually everybody else, um, Steve Martin was probably the toughest. Steve Martin doesn't like to do interviews. Friendly. I finally got him on the phone for, for a, a little while, but you know, mm-hmm. that was about it. Everybody else. So Robin Williams sat with me for a long time. Uh, oh, wow. Robert Klein, uh, Albert Brooks, one of my favorites, uh, was was great. And um, Seinfeld, uh, you know, and plus, of course, lots of lesser comedians or comedians who were just part of the, of the crowd. Right. Some of the very yeah. good. Uh, the club owners, uh, some of the managers. I, I talked to probably around 100 people for that book.
1: Awesome. Wow. Yeah. Who was your favorite out of the non-big, big names that you've came across? Do you remember any of that, like, really grabbed you?
0: Of the non-big, big names? <laughs> I, don't, I, I considered Albert Brooks not a big name at the time I did it. You know, he was sort of a yeah. cult, sort of, I had a cult following. Um, I, uh, you know, there was a guy, I'll tell you one guy um, who kind of never had much of a career, but I remember seeing him on at the improv and how, how impressed I was, it was a guy, Ed Bluestone. Oh yeah. Uh, he, he was a very clever guy. He never, he didn't quite, you know, make it big, but right. there were guys like that, um, you know, I, that's interesting the first thing that comes to mind.
1: Yeah. The Albert Brooks stuff was always, was he, uh, I feel like it was him, Gilbert Gottfried. And I, and I'm sure they're, and I'm blanking on names, but, um, they were very much like, the ones comedians would always talk about too, right? Like because Albert was on the um, yeah. Tonight Show a lot, and I feel like people would always be like, "I never missed it when he was on." Right, but they were kind of like comics, comics, right?
0: He had a series of bits, you know, that were sort of like bad, bad show business, you know, right? The terrible ventriloquist, the, the bad mime, right? The, uh, you know, and it, it was a, it was a concept, you know. Mm, <laughs> he was yeah. uh, he was making fun of show business. He was uh, and. You know, some people didn't get him and, and the ones who did loved him. Plus, yeah. I always heard from people and and experienced it when I was with him that the guy was just brilliant. I mean, he was just so funny, uh, just naturally. Mm-hmm. People, you know, his his childhood friends, uh, Rob Reiner and, uh, you know, uh, we'll all talk about just how, how Albert would crack them up. Right. Whenever he yeah. was just at a party at their house or whatever so you know guys like that who are just naturally funny uh are you know pretty impressive uh, not all the comedians you know that i interviewed you know are are that funny in person just doing an interview i mean they don't right. do, uh, robin williams you know very serious guy with me mm. i mean very mm. you know serious about his comedy um low-key um, with other interviewers, I mean, he might perform, you know, there was sure. Robin the performer and there was Robin, you know, the, the, the artist <laughs> who, who wanted to talk about his art
1: and right. I got, yeah. flatter,
0: so that was, that was good.
1: I actually love that. Yeah. That's actually, cause it's, it's, you can see Robin the performer anytime somebody with a camera interviews him, you know what I mean? So it's, yeah. you don't really get that, but I, that's another thing I really liked about the book. Cause I feel like he, I actually got to hear him, you know, say what he thinks yeah. about his comedy, what he thought about other people's comedy, and in a yeah. kind of an unfiltered way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, does anybody you had a problem with?
0: Well, the one person who, there was one, I think, major comedian who wouldn't talk to me, and it was Elaine Boosler, um, which was, uh, uh, bo- really bothered me because mm-hmm. she was the, the one in an era when women were not doing particularly well, were not getting much of a break in the clubs. It was still very male-oriented, she was the one who who sort of broke through. And she was the most important female comic of that generation. And I definitely, you know, thought she was important to talk to. But she was very prickly, uh, didn't want to sort of give away her story to somebody else. Maybe she had in mind doing her own memoir.
1: You know, she hasn't. But she... Yeah. Yeah. Funny you should say that because (laughs) Elaine Boozler was one of the people that we had reached out to when I first started doing the show because I was just, you know, interviewing friends and comedians and people that I had met and just really admired. And I never met her, but I, you know, same, same thought process you had. She broke through, you know, she's this amazing comic and she lived with Leno and Robin Williams and all those, you know, they all came up together. And uh, uh, her manager, who was her husband, obviously, you know, I mean, obviously everybody knows who he is, uh, got on the phone with me um cuz i think my manager had tried to reach out and then it didn't work so i was like i'm i really you know everybody else from her generation has kind of done the show i want to talk to her so i'm like let me give it a personal touch i'll give it a call and then he picks up and he's annoyed with me immediately that i've even bothered <laughs> i'm like but the funny thing is is elaine and i talk online so like on instant not scandalously but you know what i mean like <laughs> actually she and i send photos um yeah. but like on instagram or whatever and she's very friendly Um, like Mm -hmm. come to my house in Italy friendly. So I'm just, Mm -hmm. I'm totally confused by this whole thing. And then, uh, he's like, well, let me, uh, in the very beginning when we, when we had just started, he's like, well, how many, how many views you got? And we had decent views then, right? For something that was just starting and he goes, let me know when you get to over a hundred thousand, then we'll talk. And I'm like, I don't have an, like, when the hell is that going to be? And like, it's, you know, it was really weird. And I, and I just thought he pulled an arbitrary number out of his head that he thought I'd never hit. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Such a bummer though. Were you disappointed? Yeah. Like, did you talk to other people? Like, can you talk to Elaine or?
0: <laughs> uh I think I did. Um, I remember though, you know, her, her, she she was a problem to a lot of people i remember caroline yeah. hirsch of caroline's comedy club yeah telling me how difficult elaine was wow to work with and you know she had a temper a temperament and uh, so who knows what goes on look sure. people have the right not to talk oh yeah i really i, I don't want to you know say anything bad about her because no. i and i think i said nice things in the book about her i just think. I think she was short-sighted and and you know if she's if she's concerned about her legacy and her her you know role in that that era she should want to talk and and mm-hmm. she would have had an even even bigger um uh, you know uh, place in the book
1: i agree but- <laughs> it is hard i wonder if it's hard to pick projects to and and to know who to talk to and stuff like that because this is such a phenomenal book and i like uh, everybody that contributed to it. And then there's always that one thing where I've had other books too, where you're like, man, how come they didn't get so-and-so to talk? You know what right. I mean? They mentioned, like, I'll see somebody mentioned all over in this book. And I'm like, I, I always, I'm always left wondering, like, why the yeah. hell didn't they talk to this person? You know?
0: Yeah. You, you can discuss, you sort of cover it up. Uh, I've, i in other books of mine, uh, too, uh, sometimes you, you know, you don't get to someone important, but you, you mm-hmm. sort of, you know, you work your way through it, and right. maybe you pick up a quote yeah. or two that the person said somewhere else, which is fair game. Right. <laughs> uh, I, but you know, you you do what you can. You you go with what you can. I was just very lucky in this book that everybody everybody else talked to me, even people I had sort of given up on, like David Letterman. Oh, wow. Was at a point in his you know his show was rolling along, and he was not doing uh, interviews. Although I had interviewed him for Time. I had done a time cover story on David Letterman. So Mm -hmm. he knew me, but still he wasn't going to talk for this book. He didn't, um, you know, I just hit a brick wall. And I I remember trying one last time. And I think I did work through, I can't remember now. I I sort of knew his, uh, Robert Morton, uh, you know, his Mm -hmm. his, uh, producer back then. Yeah. And, um, uh, but I, I can't remember how, but somehow I suddenly get a call. Dave, Dave will do the interview. Wow! So, uh, and and he was he was great too. Also, a very very funny guide in person. You know, I mean, he is That's he like, thinks funny, talks funny. Uh, just you're, you're talking to him and you're laughing all. The yeah,
1: time. it comes through yeah. in the book too because the first time I'd heard him talk about um, you know Robin Williams in a way when he'd come back in. And I think yeah. I remember this from the book, too, where he basically said he made everyone check their wallets, which I thought was such a genius. Right. Yeah. Way to put it. Um, Just, yeah. Kind of images he has. Yeah. Very, yeah. very
0: creative guy. Uh, Letterman's really terrific.
1: Yeah. do You ever find that like uh, at, uh, this is probably like a, a weird analogy in a way, but like even when we're trying to get guests on this one, too, like you try one month. And then like you're like oh they're not in that. they're in like a bad mood or no you can't get a hold of them whatever and then you try again and they're a totally like sweet as pie sure. people get back to you instantly I always feel like it reminds me of when I was a kid and I'd ask my parents if I could do something that clearly they said no for and then you're like I gotta give it like three weeks let it gestate yeah. get oh, yeah. in a good mood yeah well you yeah you learn to do that you 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 try different avenues
0: you try uh, you know you just you don't give up you just keep trying you, uh, and and you hope. Also, I think just the persistence, mm. um, you know, if you just make one attempt and then that's it, it, if you try over and over again, the person knows you're really serious. You really want to talk mm-hmm. um, yeah. also, you know, maybe he's heard that other people have talked to me and, yeah. you know, it, it also, you know, gets the ball rolling when, mm. when it, a lot of times I'll ask you who else has talked to you. And when the, the more people you can tell, tell them, oh, well, you know, I've gotten to, Carlin and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then, um, you know, they yeah. they become more interested and they don't want to be left out. Right. So. There's a tipping point, right? Like there's a point
1: where once you get enough of them on, we did we did this very long charity special. And in the beginning, everybody be placing phone calls to comedians and saying, hey, would you want to jump on this charity special? And they're like, oh, I'll see what I could do. And we were just right. like, listen, if you can't give us a time slot, we can't do it. Then we got like 300 with a bunch of big, big names. And then people like, Hey, how come you didn't yeah. call yeah. me? How yeah. come I didn't get another shot at it? Sure, which is so crazy. crazy.
0: No, I'm. I'm. Uh, it, it's really gratifying that I look back on that book and I see, boy, everybody who is still alive, basically, I I got to, and um, yeah. yeah, and you know, if I'd done the book a couple of years later, Carlin would have been gone, or you know, and and Robin. So, yeah. so I, I yeah. Robin, a few years after that, and and mm-hmm. so I I did the book at the right time, and I, it's there. You know, between two covers, and it'll be there forever. So, pe- you know, it, it's it's really nice to have it.
1: When you were putting this together, how much of it was like um, based on what you would remembered, and how much of it did you rely on maybe notes from back then, or or the interview part? Mm-hmm. Like,
0: no, the, the, you know, I never took notes back in those days. It was just my oh, cool. memories, and and that didn't play. That sort of laid the groundwork for it. But I had to do, you know, everything I. Uh, Lots of new reporting. I had right. to go back and listen to all the records from you know that I had. Uh, yeah, and get new ones that I hadn't you know and mm-hmm. and hear you know and and hear a lot of comedians that I didn't know much about. Uh, right. Earlier, you know. So um, uh, you know, I did a a lot of a lot of research.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's like so. But you were I I may be wrong about this because I don't know. But were you around when the um. The strike happened like you were on the on the field basically talking to people when that was going on uh, no
0: i i I was <laughs> I was in New York okay uh, at that time or wait a minute that was seventy nine I might have been mm-hmm. in Atlanta okay. Actually, for a few years I was at the Atlanta Constitution mm-hmm. Atlanta. but no, I was not um did not witness that whole thing so so like that whole business with the strike and Mitzi Shore, the whole comedy store scene I I really was not part of that. I I don't think I had ever been to the comedy store until while doing the book. I went, you know, yeah, times just to see what the scene was like. But back in the day, no, I didn't. I never saw Robin Williams at the comedy store or anything like that.
1: Okay. Because even when you write about the strike, it kind of you do it in a way where it's you, I envisioned you there. Almost yeah, and, well, that's just tried, a testament to your Very hard. That's the goal. Yeah. I was going to say it, cause it fooled me. Cause I was like, wow, this guy was on the. Cause especially when you um, combine the comments and the interviews and stuff like that with people that are there, it really does yeah. give you that like feeling like you are, you kind yeah. of witnessing everything happening at the time. Well, cause there's a lot yeah. of people that even come on that remember it. I, it's funny. I quote this book a lot. Um, when I'm talking to those guys who were around at the time and I'm like, did yeah. this, you know, that big um, thing with Leno, and him possibly getting hit by the car. Everybody's got a different story about that. Yeah, yeah. And it's so crazy because it's theirs always seems genuine to them. I mean, it is yeah. genuine to them, yeah. but everybody's got a different memory of whether that was true or whether that actually happened yeah. or whether it actually ended it. Yeah. It's kind of funny and hard to nail down. And, yeah. And
0: plus, comedians love to tell stories and, and embellish <laughs> stories and uh, and make them into you know funny stories. So, yeah, you know, it, it is hard to know. And you have to triangulate a lot and get get different points of view, and then you kind of figure out what you you decide what you think.
1: Right. Is. Well, that's what I was going to ask next: is how how basically when you're getting all those stories and stuff like that down, how hard was it for you to go to kind of center it? You know what I mean? And be like, wow, there's a lot of different takes on well, this one.
0: Yeah, I, I that's that's what you do as a journalist. You know, okay. when you're, you're doing a profile of somebody or or a piece on a controversy in the in the industry. Mm -hmm. um you know you just talk to a lot of people until you feel like okay i understand all sides of it and then your job is to tell the story you know the way you think it happened and you you're never 100 percent sure but you know you do your best so Mm -hmm. the strike um i could see all sides of it i mean i talked to remember gary shandling was one of the guys who crossed crossed the the line. line yeah he had his point of view on it and i you know i i feel like i can listen to everybody and and um digest it all and you know mm. um tell tell the story as truthfully as i can
1: when you were talking to people who maybe not necessarily got along that well did you read like if you would talk to somebody before shandling let's say because i know there's some people that wouldn't talk to shandling to the, to that day basically right yeah. yeah did you wind up like poking the bear a little bit and kind of being like well so and so says to get something out of them or uh you know, I don't remember. I would, I, I mean,
0: he, I remember Shandling definitely was aware that he was not a popular figure at that time. When okay, he, And so he definitely, you know, engaged with that. And, and, mm-hmm. and I, I brought it up. Um, I remember Letterman talking about him and, and mm-hmm. Leno. Um, but I didn't get a lot of Really, I think, you know, enough years had gone by that, that whatever bitterness there was, it That's cool. kind of faded and they could talk about it fairly objectively. Um, anyway, Shandling was another interesting, uh,
1: guy who sadly is not with us anymore. I know, man, all the great, uh, it's crazy how many of them are not around and they were just such, and, and like, like even Saget, I feel like Saget went almost the same yeah. way, um, Shandling did where it was suddenly and no one expected it. And, yeah. You know, yep. Yep. it's it's super, super sad. Yeah. Uh, is there anybody that you didn't get to interview that you really uh, besides I mean, lame, but I mean, like somebody that you would have been like well, this person would have been
0: prior would have been great. And I yeah. remember he, he was, you know, he had his MS and I, I talked to his wife, girlfriend, you know, I, I uh, um, and tried real hard to sort of get a little time with him. But she was very protective and, and mm couldn't um uh Andy Kaufman <laughs> oh yeah wonderful to talk to Andy Kaufman he,
1: he, was, <laughs> he was long gone um I think they said he was going to appear at that Q meeting that they had yeah, uh in, you know he was going to be one of the ones that returned yeah he he was
0: you know, you know there was a unique you know figure in comedy history he was he was fearless and 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 you know I think kind of crazy Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, some of that stuff is, uh, is really amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but I remember at the comedy, at, at the improv in New York, and this would be, you know, the mid-70s, um, when I, I, I it, they had a, uh, you know, there were a bunch of acts, and then I guess there was a break, because I was in the line for the bathroom, <laughs> and a guy barges in front of me talking in his little little eastern man you know eastern you know accent it was it was i he, he was in character and i thought who is who the fuck is this guy and and uh you know he barges into the restroom and then i and then you know 20 minutes later i see him on stage and it was in his, <laughs> his foreign man bit um so you know uh it,
1: he was, he was uh, in character all the time. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. Other than Andy, maybe, who is somebody that you saw live that you thought was just blew you away? Well, you know, I actually have
0: my, the two best, funniest comedy, stand-up comedy performances in my life that mm-hmm. I saw personally. One was Robert Klein at the Bitter End. Wow, when Robert Klein was at his peak, there was no one who could just keep the laughs rolling, 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 mm-hmm. and he was he was so on. I just remember that night, laughing. I remember some of the specific bits. Most of them are bits he did, you know, over and over again. Some of right. them were for the first I had heard for the first time there. He was just a great, great performer. Still is actually. Yeah. Um, and uh, and the other was in San Francisco. I was. God, I guess this was earlier. Yeah, because uh, it was in the early 70s I was in San Francisco at the boarding at the boarding house, I saw Albert, Albert Brooks. Wow. And Albert Brooks as a live performer was just uncanny. He was the energy level was so high he did bits i mean he did his famous like um rewriting the national anthem bit, if mm-hmm. you know that bit. yeah and, and others that i never saw him do again um he 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 was just great uh, just that those two evenings so those were those were the funniest two single performances i think right
1: I and and two very different types of performers too sure yeah
0: um but you know what, what i was what impressed me it was, it was albert brooks I mean he he wasn't like this cerebral concept kind of comedian that you might expect mm-hmm. he was he, he was great on stage i mean he was with the audience he was he, he just so high energy right. and uh man he was he was great
1: that was uh i think i got this from your book as well but uh robert klein i always ask people he was basically the godfather of this particular type of stand-up right
0: yeah, I, I think people don't understand because it, it was a sort of subtle what he did. Um he came out of Second City. Mm-hmm. He was an improv guy, um, who who he could act as well as tell jokes. And so right. his routines were, you know, a mix of characters and, and impressions and little scenes, and he would go in and out of characters. And that kind of free-flowing um mix of jokes and and acting and impressions and scenes is the style that I think really became the house style of the of the of the comedy clubs in 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 the it's in the seventies. Um, I, I mean, I, I think you see it in Leno and you see it in in Richard Lewis and you see it mm-hmm. in uh, That was whereas as opposed to say Carlin, who everybody loved and was influenced by, but. But Carlin was a very scripted kind of comedian. He, right. He his bits were very worked out, and he didn't really improvise. Klein could really improvise, you know, mm-hmm. and and just had a knack for, you know, going for the 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 punch, the right you know laugh line, uh, and and throwing in a little quick impression here and there, and he right, would, um, and he would jump around from you know current events he's back in those days he was doing watergate
1: yeah oh my god and yeah
0: uh, and and old tv shows our gang comedies and this and that <laughs> and he, you know th- that was the other thing he was really representative of that baby boom generation he was kind of mining all the, their childhood memories you know early tv uh you know, summer camp yeah uh, you know school school teachers so he really was somebody that they could identify with whereas carlin was a little older and you know he was a guy who was in the army and he was in the you know uh, uh, he he wasn't quite of that generation he influenced mm-hmm.
1: that generation
0: but yeah so i think Car- uh klein was the guy who was the really the most influential uh,
1: that, it, and- it's when you talk um because you could see it a bunch of comedians from that generation too but there's this special from the improv and i which I don't know if it's just called the improv special. I have no idea what it is. I, I have it on VHS, but you could kind of see that because um, it's Robert Klein, Richard Lewis, Billy Crystal, Robin Williams, Paul Rodriguez, mm-hmm. and Robert's hosting it. And yeah. ever since I read your book and I watched that thing back, it's kind of funny because you can see Robert doing his material. And then a little bit of that in almost each and every yeah. person who's younger than him. Yeah, That's kind of doing it, which I imagine is why he hosts it. So it's it's yeah. it's awesome to see that. Yeah. Um, I was gonna. I was thinking about the two comedy albums I had at the time when I. Sorry, my cat just jumped onto the desk. as an idiot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, the two comedy albums I had when I first uh, had comedy albums in it in general were Seinfeld and Robin Williams. Those are the two I had, and they couldn't have been more different than the two. Were there you know groups of comics that you saw hanging out at the time that seemed to be like clickish? Because the timeline thing that I was saying when you wrote about it at that time it always feels like a team up to me. You know what I mean? Like Avengers style, like we were like, oh my God, I had no idea that these, this crew yeah. hung out with these people because you couldn't picture them together. Like- well, at the time, I wasn't, I wasn't hanging
0: out. I was in the audience, but right. you, can, you, knew, <laughs> you knew that there was like the Catch a Rising Star group was, you know, Richard Belzer. Sure. And, and, um, you know, there was a group of comics that um were there i'm trying to think of you know but and the improv group was a a little different they they crossed over a lot um but then there was the the comic strip uh, gang which was seinfeld's club right Um, and that was and paul riser and now i wasn't that i don't remember ever seeing seinfeld um he came along a little later and it's interesting. You have, I've ne- I don't have any, I've, I've never heard a Seinfeld album. <laughs> um, I use. I, yeah. Yeah. I, so I'd be curious. I could, uh, oh, but I'll I've, send it to you. I've yeah, got it. I've it, got it downloaded. I'll just send it to you. It was, um. <laughs> it
1: was called, I'm telling you for the last time.
0: Okay. No, I didn't. Um. I don't have it. Oh, okay. But I, but I seems like I watched every bit of, you know, <laughs> video of Jerry Seinfeld in existence. Um, And uh, yeah, Anyway, so, so I know there was that group around that club. And then, of course, the L.A. group. Then there was the era when, you know, in the mid-70s to late-70s is when, you know, everybody moved from New York to L.A. So the mm-hmm. center of gravity sort of shifted out west. And then, you know, Leno was originally a New York comic, and he went to L.A. Letterman went straight to L.A. Yes. Um, Richard Lewis, New York guy, went to L.A um bud friedman had his club in new york he went to la and opened. <laughs> so it really really shifted. andy kaufman they all they all yeah. went out to la so uh but that was see i was there and when i was going to the clubs it was still new york new york based and yeah the, the la clubs were just getting
1: started was there like a cool club like you know because that's a lot of comics talk about like you know uh maybe it's personal to them but i feel like catch was always a cooler, cool, cool kind of place. But then the comic strip was like less than, did you feel yeah. that as a journalist?
0: Uh, yeah, sort of. I mean, you knew that improv and Catch a Rising Star were the two clubs. In there. Right. Um, there was a, I liked um, the improv better. I just, I liked the the kind of seediness of it. Right. Um, the, the Catch had a little more show kind of slick, show busy um, kind of vibe to it um i think i i i found i i liked i more often i liked the comedians at the improv some and then then a catch a rising star mm-hmm. sometimes. um and belzer belzer was such a he so dominated that club and, right you know uh and he could get a little wild he could get a little <laughs> you know, a little bit much i love you know belzer was really there was a guy who didn't want to talk to me at first mm-hmm. and then he did and he he and then we became friendly um uh-huh. bells are and he said to me you know i thought you were just this nerdy you know <laughs> my magazine you know, i didn't want to talk to you but you know he kind of he gave a lot of respect for me because how much i i knew about it and and um and he, he you know he he i took him seriously and he took me seriously so it was a nice relationship
1: yeah that's a good combination yeah. Uh, your book also th- and um, Steve Martin's. I don't know if you know this and Rickles and Bob Newhart's overlap in some ways in that sometimes the stories that people are telling in your book. Steve then elaborate like I've noticed that in Steve Martin's oh, book, yeah. like he goes into like um, the relationship between he and Robert Klein and how it wasn't that great. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then in his yeah. book, it's even more so. And then in Rickles book, which is crazy he talks about the two of them coming to see um somebody's baby in the back because they all used to hang out like around in the backstage of the clothes and stuff like that so it's weird to get these three different perceptions yeah, yeah. of the time i don't even know if you knew that but like it was because they all came out at different times but it was well, kind of cool i remember steve martin
0: steve martin's first book uh born, born standing born, up Born standing up yeah yeah i read that that actually came out right when i was writing my book so okay. i I definitely read it and may have used an anecdote or two from it. Sure, sure. But, uh, and Rickles' book came later. Mm -hmm. Of course, Rickles really wasn't part of mine. Um, But I I do remember reading Rickles' book. I can't remember a story of his that overlapped with one of mine, but you may may well be right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's just interesting because it's, again, it's like, for me, like, again, the timeline thing is just like Mm -hmm. all of of you kind of like put that era in perspective. Um, When you were doing your book on hope, that's a that's a different kind of comic that's a different yeah, kind of comedy sure. did you find a, any kind of I always wonder what the older generation really thought of the younger generation and their style and stuff did you find any of that well well you, you know what let me say first
0: mm-hmm. the reason I did the book on Bob hope was mm-hmm. in doing comedy at the edge I was always thinking gosh you know these guys were you know were great a great generation but where did stand-up comedy start and you know how did it start? who would, yeah. and and I, I kept thinking really Bob Hope seemed to me like the, the <laughs> kind of original stand-up comedy comic in America. and I you know I, he was a great figure in American show business and no one had done a really good biography of him so I I wanted to do that and oh, but the other thing I wanted to say the other thing that struck me is that when I would ask all these guys it, in comedy at the Edge, all the comedians I talked to, I would always ask them, who, who was your favorite comic growing up? Who'd you listen to? Who influenced you, et cetera? And they would say, You know, everybody from maybe Groucho Marx to uh, Lenny Bruce to, you know, nobody mentioned Bob Hope. I mean, Bob Hope <laughs> was so not, you know, I remember Jerry Seinfeld saying to me, Bob Hope, I don't even consider him a comedian, he was an what? entertainer. He was wow. an entertainer. So I think they the, the younger generation had no interest in Bob Hope. And I just thought that was unjust. Because wow. yeah. Bob Hope did basically create stand-up comedy in America. It was different. He mm-hmm. did jokes that were written by other people for yeah. him. They were not personal at all. You never learned anything about Bob Hope from his jokes. I mean, right. he was, he, he, whereas one of the innovations of these the generation of comedy at the edge was comedy their stand up was personal it was mm-hmm. they were telling about their lives and their you know girlfriends and their, their whatever their uh you you learned about them right uh bob hope you know it was you know um totally never let you inside mm-hmm. uh, he was an entertainer and he but he was he, his the the rhythm of the jokes the the way he told you know structured jokes and uh and and the idea of doing topical jokes which really nobody else was doing at the time right. talking about current events um and uh, he created the kind of he created the johnny carson monologue was basically yeah. bob hope monologue before johnny came along so yeah. um anyway all that uh is why i wanted to i wanted to sort of resurrect his his achievement his career what did they think of the younger generation they you know, they were always, I think, nice, nice to them. You know, Bob Hope was, was, uh, but I'm sure there was a little competitiveness and Mm -hmm. um, feeling of, you know, that the new generation had moved on. And certainly Bob Hope, particularly, as we all know, during the Vietnam years and the counterculture years, Bob Hope, you know, was a Republican and he was, Certainly the, the generation, the, the 60s generation had no use for Bob Hope and that damaged him, his reputation, you know, terribly. So, so um, you know, I think he, they, everybody, uh, my generation sort of wrote off Bob Hope, but I wanted to sort of go back and remind them. But before before he became you know, Mr. Republican, he was quite an innovator and uh, influential and and a great, great talent. I mean, just amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny, the one you said about Seinfeld, because I never even uh, realized he had said that. There's one clip of Bob Hope talking to, talking to a bunch of young comics, and I think it's from an early comedy, like uh, one of those made-for-TV specials where they were kind of yeah. going over a thing, and um, Jerry kind of gets shot down by him. Uh, because oh, yeah. he, Jerry's got, you know, they're like, does anybody have any questions for Bob? And you know, Jerry Ray his hand and he's young and he's thin and it's must be like just in the beginning of his career. And he's like, yeah, do you think there's, uh, something to be said about comedians now coming up too fast when they're not ready? I feel like he had probably just turned down the tonight show when he said he wasn't ready yet. You know, he's like, uh. you know, just, just shooting their shot before they're ready. And then <laughs> Bob immediately goes, no, I don't think so. Uh, I've got a young, uh, comic open for me now. And it is Johnny Yoon um and he's like and he's great and he came up pretty fast and <laughs> you see jerry just like oh okay yeah. yeah and then that was it and i kind of now wonder if if that's yeah. why he was like
0: i that's that's a clip i have never seen but uh yeah i'm sure that you know bob and those he was he was old and he he really couldn't connect with sure young comics he would but he he would always say nice things about them and and I think you're probably talking about one of those young comedian specials in the later yes. years where they sort of brought on Bob, sort of doddering, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. Bob, of course, stayed around too long. And yeah. uh, he was getting pretty um, feeble near the end there. And, mm-hmm. you know, he couldn't hear and he
1: couldn't, couldn't see very well. So <laughs> who knows if he even heard the question? Yeah. And there's a lot to be said, too, for like, I know he didn't write any of his own material or personal material, but there's something to be said for somebody who knows what material is good enough for them to deliver. Absolutely. Like he knew what a joke was. He knew when it was well written and what he could deliver. So that's sure. a that's a comedic. And he in pick of them. Itself. He picked You know, he'd get yeah. his writers to give him a couple hundred jokes and he would pick
0: the the 12 that would be in the monologue. And he had to know what what would work. Right. And he would he would edit them. He would cut out all the extraneous words he he knew the rhythm that it had to take and you know i always compare it yes later you know comedians wrote their own material and their material was very expressive of themselves and mm-hmm. um but um i i compare it to you know the beatles after the beatles you know rock performers wrote their own material you had to. right but yeah Elvis didn't write his own material and Frank Sinatra didn't write his own songs. And Mm -hmm. and we consider them great, you know, great performers and talents. Um, So, you know, there is something an artist who just interprets other people's work as it can be a great artist as
1: well. Right. I always wondered, like at that time, you know, like even for even like for Bob Hope, Bob Hope looking at younger comics, Frank looking at other people who write their own music as that stuff was getting popular. I wonder if they ever thought like, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to try to do stand up this way, or I'm going to try to write this way. Or were they just like, no, I'm going to die on this horse.
0: (laughs) It's funny. Elvis had a couple of, uh, you know, his name was on a couple of songs as one of the writers, but he never wrote it. And I don't think he ever, (laughs) he he may have have thought he could write something at one time, but you know, you can be a great performer and you know how to take a song and turn it into something, you know, memorable. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. you know not nothing to be sneered at
1: yeah did you know that a lot of the comics from the from that generation too loved uh, Rodney you know what I mean because he was so nice to them but he also bought material from comedians and I think sometimes what I'm you know mostly getting from them is like yeah sometimes we need to pay rent and he knew it yeah. <laughs> you know even if it wasn't that good he'd be like here you go kid Rod
0: uh, yeah Rodney I, I, I never saw live uh uh robert klein was like in, in you know was really very close to him mm-hmm. um but i don't i don't know uh you know i i guess rodney did write some of his own material i think but yeah i don't i, re- I don't really know a lot about rodney and and he's he's a an, an interesting figure and i i have i guess i did read his book mm-hmm. um but um not someone i He's someone I need to do a little more research on.
1: Uh, he was there's one documentary I saw from uh, on him a long time ago, and I swear to God, it this is like a Mandela effect thing, because I say it exists, and nobody else. They're like, you're out of your fucking mind. You no, know, it rings a bell with me too. I'm trying to think, feel. Um... Oh God, please remember what it was called. Yeah. <laughs> hmm because it was a great one and it really went into his younger life. And like the jokes that like his attempt at stand up in the first place as his, you know, his, uh, Jack, uh, whatever his fucking real name Jack is. Name. Thank Jack you. Mm-hmm. I couldn't think of his name. Like it's two names. Um, and, yeah. uh, and then, you know, and Rodney and everything like that, but he did write his own material. And the cool part about the documentary was just how you, you know, if you didn't really know him, you didn't know how personal that material was, but if you did know his past, like all mm-hmm. those jokes hit just a little harder. Yeah. Because of, you know, who his parents was, how his mother treated him, yeah. you know, how his like all this stuff was, was very personal to him. And then of course he had, you know, younger comics writing for him and stuff too. It's very interesting, but I tell people there's a documentary and they're like, no, let's do it. I'll look why If I find it, I'll let you know. No, oh, thank you. Somewhere. Um, somewhere. Yeah. Did you, so when you were younger, did you always want to be a journalist? Like how was the, uh, was that something that you were interested in writing when you were a kid?
0: Yeah you know when i was a kid kid i didn't know what i wanted to do mm-hmm. it was just when i was in college and i started writing some theater reviews and stuff like that and mm-hmm. I, I just gravitated toward writing about the arts and entertainment uh never wanted to be a comedian i thought you I was were gonna, ask gonna that i had no interest no uh, you know never tried it never wanted to try it never mm-hmm. thought i would be any good at it so wow. um i i i just feel like i'm a writer and <laughs> Um, but I do, you know, feel like I've got a kind of sympathy with and, and, you know, connection with, with these guys. I th- I think I have, you know, I think I have a good sense of humor and I, I think yeah. I, I, I kind of understand what comedians are trying to do and, and, you know, a lot of them, some of them, you know, I don't like, and some I um, I like, but I I know what I like. It's, I'm confident in my tastes, and so I, I I like to sort of write about you know what I like and what I yeah argue argue for it. I'm Although a, it,
1: a great I, book would be all the comedians that you don't like and why. Like, no, that would be too hard to get the interview. <laughs> I'm doing a book on bad comedians. You know? Right. <laughs> uh, you know what's sick? The comedian would still love the attention for it. They'd be like, this you guy do. wrote about me. <laughs> <do>. <laughs> this day and age, anyway. Um, yeah, that's that's a good... Like, wh- Was there a type of comedy you prefer over another type? Well,
0: I I always liked the when when Steve Martin and Albert Brooks were doing this kind of self self you know deprecating um, reflective mm-hmm. uh, uh, um, making fun of themselves that kind yeah. of you know the the people who sort of look at themselves are, are basically making fun of the whole idea of being a comedian, you know, uh, going out there and and doing bad acts. I mean, that, that kind of conceptual comedy, I always find, find funny. That's why I liked Andy Kaufman and, uh, and, and some other guys, you know, more recently too. Um, I was, um, I was also very into, um, improv second city kind of stuff, you know, Hmm. um, I went to school for a couple of years in Chicago, and and okay. go, went to Second City in the days, um, not when not, you know before the Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi era, but uh, you know they were who, whoever was there that that you know those were. Um, Great shows, those Second City, and the committee. When Hard Hesseman just died, I oh, saw yeah. him in the committee in San Francisco when he was in the committee. Wow! Um, well before WKRP in Cincinnati, so I was very much into that that era of um, improv, uh, the the Second
1: City style. Mm-hmm. So, uh, how far yeah. would you say when you see somebody like um, you know him? in in his heyday when he's doing when when he's not well known he's doing that kind of stuff and then they become who they are eventually how far removed would you say they are from who they originally were on stage you mean like hesseman yeah
0: um i mean i totally recognize them i mean when i the first time i saw you know wkrb i said oh my god the guy from the committee and uh, you know, I think he was very much the same. I, ha- I have no cool. memory of really any specific thing he did on stage, mm-hmm. Eddie. Um, I think Peter Bonners was in that group too. Wow. Who, who went on, you know, from Newhart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, He's great. You know, so uh, it, it, was, it was really fun to see see people like that. But even in the years when I was going to Second City, those couple of years, none of the people there were were, got to be particularly big but i remember them all as being great performers um j.j barry was a guy i mean okay um martin harvey friedberg these are not names who have careers really but boy in the in the context of a second city show with six performers or seven um doing sketches they they were terrific. I mean they just had a consistent quality level. You know, it didn't matter if it if it if it was Robert Klein in the cast or uh, or John Belushi, you know, who even the the no names were were mm-hmm. terrific.
1: And so even when you were viewing like theater shows back in the day, you never had that feeling of like I could get up there.
0: No, no. Oh wow. I had terrible stage fright. Um and I couldn't even get up in front of a class and talk. I really and and it was only in later years when, when I had to do interviews like this, that I kind of (laughs) was able to talk in front of cameras or, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, and I just, but it it was very, very tough for me to do any kind of public speaking. And I would never, the idea of getting up on stage, I would just freeze, you know, Mm. never, never had, had the desire to do that.
1: If you were to do another comedy book, like comedy at the edge, but more modern, who would, who would be the guys you would want to reach out to? Well, you know, I've been thinking what I,
0: I have to say, what ought to be done is a book or at least a big article on on what's happening today with um, what people call cancel culture. But, you know, with Chappelle and and um, Kevin Hart and and here, you know, the way I put it is this was the generation that I wrote about that broke all the taboos and and mm-hmm. or you, could, you could say anything, you know. Right. Uh, and. And yet now we're, we're in an era where mm, now there are sort of new sort of taboos and stand up comics have to be careful. And I'm not so sure that's a good thing. I agree. Um, And uh, who was it? Um, um, Steve Harvey, not that he's my favorite comedian, but he made a comment. He says, I can't do a a Netflix special. It would, I would just offend to, you know, Uh, right. I, I just wonder and maybe you can tell me how much that's affecting comedians out there today is is that inhibiting them are they you know scratching out material they say i i, I can't go there
1: i don't want to risk it i think is i think when you're bit when you're a bigger comic like the weird thing is to me is what it's doing to people's what's doing to comedian psyches because when you think about steve harvey I've seen his stand up before. He's not. I like the guy, but he's not my favorite comic either by any means, but his material is not particularly he's not a Chappelle or Bill Burr, and he's not pushing that edge. But the fact of the matter still stands is that that guy now feels like even his kind of material. He's too worried about his own career. And who might pinpoint him? I think he's safe. By the way, I kind of if I knew him personally, I'd be like, do The special, yeah, uh, but he has a brand
0: now, so yeah, yeah, like I, I, I think, yeah that was a little, yeah, yeah, it was a little bit much to.
1: That's what I thought too. I was like, just do the special, nobody's gonna care. But,
0: but the fact that he would say that, and, and yeah, you got, um, you know, I was just reading a piece about uh, uh, Kathy Griffin, and you yeah. know, th- these comedians that you know, you say one thing or or uh, you know, one tweet or one you know, yeah, one wrong step, and your career is you know stalled or or even over maybe and that's not a good thing
1: it's it's Um, such a cash grab though too because a lot of the times like i mean i've had uh we had pete dominic on the um on the charity event that we did i i called him and i asked him to be on it or whatever which is hilarious because we get along for the most part he had a i don't know if you know pete dominic but he had a serious show he's a very liberal guy Uh um but you know we started arguing about cancel culture and uh he kind of got a little loud about it or whatever but the funny thing is is that we were talking about two different things and i think when everybody talks about cancel culture it's broken up into like four different increments because there's the far left progressive who deem cancel culture like who see cancel culture as you know who any, anybody who attacks it is attacking like harvey or bill cosby going to jail and i'm like that's not cancel culture that's just the criminal justice system yeah. Yeah, yeah. and they're they've you know whatever and then there's people who talk about cancel culture where they think if you're canceled, you have to go away. So, when somebody doesn't go away right away, they go, cancel culture doesn't exist. And then I think there's the middle where cancel culture is creating a paper trail of somebody you don't like. So, one one of the examples I always think of is uh, Joss Whedon. I don't know if you know what's been going on with him lately. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, Joss just did an, an interview for the first time in God knows how long. And I thought it was a great piece for I the read New York. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was great. I thought she handled it fairly. I thought he, you know, mm-hmm. however you felt about him, he right. came off pretty well. Right. And then there's a se- there's a little little piece that out of context, you know, within the within the te- contextually makes total wow. sense. Out of context was he was talking about his childhood and how he was raised. And um, you know, he had a a memory of him when he was 4 playing by a lake by himself. And there was the neighborhood family kid who was also 4. And he was like, you know, waving him over to come and play. And then just like a kid would, he got bored and peaced out and left his friend there or the, the family bonus or, And he wound up. He didn't know he couldn't swim. And he wound up drowning. Whoa. Yeah. And so he's basically said later how like that wound up like he's like, I knew it wasn't my fault, but it still weighs yeah. on you. He goes, and then I realized and that's when he was bringing it together with how he was raised is his parents had never taught him how to swim either. So they let him by himself and the like, he was like, holy shit. There, I had no structure. So yeah. he says this. Mm-hmm. And then the people on Twitter who hate him. Yeah. This one guy tweets, who's got a popular account goes. So basically Joss Whedon just admitted that he drowned a child. And also, and then like states it just like that. And then glazes over and goes, and also says, you know, uh, tries to make us feel bad about how many women he fucked when he was married to his wife. And I thought, OK, that maybe didn't get a lot of play, but that's a paper trail. That's a taken out of context, yeah. to the point where one of my friends who actually knows Joss, or was like, oh, my God, can you believe he said this? And I was like, but he didn't. Mm-hmm. And it, and that's how it goes. So and like what happens is, is now uh, if he does anything else that's fucked up, even though that tweet didn't yeah. land and get any traction, somebody could go, wait a minute. Yeah. Did you know this? And then yeah. that brings it in. Yeah. And that's what cancel culture is to me is the relentlessness of misinformation uh, against somebody that you don't particularly like, right. that may not have really done anything wrong, but you don't like what they say. Right. And then it gets to be this uh, presentation to a corporation that may represent them. that may want to go, I don't want to fucking deal with this shit. Yeah. So I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to take their thing away.
0: That's- yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a really complicated and important subject and I haven't seen mm-hmm. a good piece on you I know mean, i'd like i agree i i i'm thinking about doing something on it i don't know if it's the trouble of trying to do a book is the, the subject is changing so fast just yeah. you can't keep up with it but it's yeah. the time for a good big article on i agree and how it how it's impacting the stand-up comedy world
1: do you worry about that that's a good like you're doing the article about it now yeah do i you, do i mean i generally can... take this I
0: sympathize with the comedians, and and mm-hmm. um, I, I thought Chappelle's <laughs> Netflix special was, you know, not his best, but you know, yeah. perfectly good. I mean, I, yeah. I, I nothing yeah. is, is wrong with it as far as I'm concerned. I mean, he's got a right to sort of, you know, answer his critics and say, and and I think he's he's pretty funny. I, yes. I,
1: so,
0: um, gosh, I, I I just there is the. You know, I don't like to use the term, but the political correctness has gone a little, you know, overboard. And I think, I think, like Chappelle making fun of, you know, LGBTQ, you know, uh, yeah. how many letters there are. I mean, that, that it is kind of ludicrous, you know. So, you know yeah. I I can't keep up with the letters, and now right. we have a plus after it. And, you know, and it, it, it's not, you know, dissing the 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 people themselves. You know the. <clears> the <throat> It's it's the culture that that has to sort of constantly, um, you know, be changing its labels to. Keep yeah. up. Anyway, um, so no, I mean, it's a fair game for satire. And absolutely,
1: and, you know, and that's so. the thing that's crazy to me is like I like being a comedian, being on the road and being in these clubs and stuff like that. It's funny that when you realize who cares and who doesn't care about that stuff, because the amount of like LGBTQ comedians I do know um, and trans comics and all their stuff, too, is just they don't give a fuck yeah. for the most part. You know what I mean? Unless, you know, they can get some press out of saying something pretty, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they're like, ah, I'm, I'm dipping. Let me, let me get some noto- notoriety for this, you know, or whatever. But like, they're, they understand comedy about this stuff. And yeah. I think comedy is primarily inclusive. And anytime any group, no matter what it is, goes, you're not allowed to make fun of us. Yeah. That's, that's going, I stand outside the group. You know, and <laughs> <laughs> just before
0: I, Came in, he came here. I was watching South Park. Uh, mm. I mean, those guys do just sh- stuff that you know you couldn't get away with in a club. I mean, yep. I haven't watched South Park for a while. I guess this is a. I was watching a couple shows from maybe last season. Right. But I didn't know they got a little black character in there now. <laughs> and, oh yeah, and and he was. <laughs> some of the stuff they were saying
1: to him. I mean, you couldn't, if if anybody was paying attention to South park, these guys would be in trouble. <laughs> I know they, that's the funny thing is, is that they used to be like when they, you know, when they first started that, everybody was a target at one point, you know what I mean? And like, they were back in the day when they first started. And so was, I was trying to explain this to a friend the other day, just basically how, you know, cancel culture started. They didn't call it that, but they, it did start with the right, you know what I mean? As far as the, you know, conservatives are concerned because, you know, um, they tried to get, they they tried to blame um, rap music for violence and video games for violence. And they wanted to censor and cancel Tarantino movies. And then they didn't like the fucking Simpsons. So there was that group Moms for whatever the, I can't think of the name of it. It's not worth remembering, but you know, it was whatever that they would write letters in every day because they didn't like Bart and they thought he was influencing their kids. That came from the the right side of the aisle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then for whatever reason, you know, I don't know, liberals started doing it now. And then it may, and then they've twisted it. What you just said before, where you were like, I don't even like saying political correctness. It is. I feel the same way. I don't like calling it that because of what it now labels you when you address it, but you can't not bring that up to talk about it. Cause it is insane.
0: Yeah. I, I just think you treat it all equally. I mean, there's excesses on both sides and yeah. And so, um, comedians are, you know, I think it's just, everything should be fair game and
1: mm-hmm.
0: everybody should just sort of, you know, cool off a little. And let, I agree. You know, do let you think it's going to get it. back
1: to it? What? Do you think it's going to ever get back to a point where we're basically where the pendulum's going to stop swinging and just kind of center know. on? I don't know. Good question. I, I, maybe, I mean, I think that,
0: uh, uh I think you need to write that article and then it'll stop. Yeah, That's what I, I, I think. Know. That's what we're but all well, waiting I, for.
1: I'm, uh, I'm giving it some thought. Believe me. Excellent. <laughs> What do you think of the, I'm I'm going to keep you for a few more minutes now. Okay. I promise I'll let you go. But uh, what do you think of the, uh, the Joe Rogan stuff? I don't know if you know him well, but basically you know, the- I don't
0: listen. I've, I've never listened to his podcast. So I, I really don't, it sounds to me, you tell me, I, I'll ask you, but it sounds like he's just doing interviews that, yeah, he's got some pretty wacky people maybe on there and some people, you yeah. know, but, but it, it doesn't sound like, like he's not getting in trouble for telling jokes and bad taste no or jokes. he's just interviewing people that you know, i i'd say give the guy a break i mean I, I, it sounds like he's getting a raw it's, deal here to well, me
1: it's, it does sound like yeah i mean i'm i'm kind of in the middle of it because again there's multiple ways to talk about it right so when people argue about it who are just his viewers and are, are like his diehard fan base they kind of use the argument that's like uh you know you don't why can't people just have a conversation and why can't people just talk about, you know, whatever they want to talk about? And, yada yada. and it's like, well, it depends. It depends on contextually what that is. Mm-hmm. So if you're Joe Rogan and you have 90 million listeners, like it's 11, his podcast is basically 11 million listeners every episode. And mm-hmm. then he does two a week. And then by the end of the month, that's like 80, some, you know what I mean? Whatever it is, is like 80, 80, basically 90 million viewers. It rounds out to a month listeners. Yes. That's a, that's wielding a bit of power, right? Yeah. So I feel like if you take that and multiply it by a, you know, uh, public health emergency pandemic situation, and you've got these doctors, quote unquote doctors or whatever, right? They've got a PhD, they've got credentials, but they use those credentials to spread their point of view and misinformation. Well, yeah. Yeah. So that's the the thing that people are arguing over. But the craziest thing is, is that his viewers think it's about free speech because that's what Rogan has labeled it as. Mm -hmm. Why can't I hear these people out? But the problem is, is that he's not just hearing them out. He's he's letting them say what they want. He's not pushing back on it. He's mm-hmm. not having people on that are the actual experts to kind of contest it or let their point of view get out. And he's also reiterating what these people have said because he happens to agree with them. So he's anti-vax. Okay,
0: if that's the case, you know, I I really am ignorant because I I don't listen no, to him yeah. and I'm just reading about it. But I, I'm one of you know I can't stand all this, the anti-vax misinformation out there. I right. think it's terrible. Um, you know, I think it's okay to bring on different points of view, but some of these, sure. like, you know, the doctor who's the surgeon, who DeSantis wants to be the surgeon general in Florida, who doesn't believe in vaccination. You know, <laughs> doesn't vaccination. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's outrageous. Absolutely. Can, I, can a comedian do a show where he brings on, you know, I, I, don't know. I don't know. It depa- so I have to hear it. How if he's really supporting this and really consistently bringing on fringe doctors who are mm-hmm. who are pr- you know purveying sort of fringe uh, theories that are debunked really by all the all the respectable you know yeah. Scientists. Uh, whenever I you know, and I have some friends and even in the family who, who are skeptical of vaccines and this and that, and I I but you know I just say. <laughs> You know, there are guys like Fauci and everybody who's working on this. These are people who spent their entire lives studying. And I mean, if you can't depend on them, I mean, you know, some doctor from uh, who knows where comes, you know, comes up with some study. I mean, you don't think Fauci has seen hundreds of those studies? Yeah. So I'm a defender of the mainstream uh, medical community in this, but Mm. I do... um, don't wanna come down too hard on a Joe Rogan yet before I yeah, see yeah. what he's doing.
1: No, I don't blame you. Yeah, absolutely. Check it out and check out those episodes and stuff yeah. and see what he's doing. Cause it, it's a it is a hard thing to talk about because I love I actually I actually like his program. I like that, you know, he does so many uh podcasts and talks for so many fucking hours. Of course yeah. there's gonna be people that find something they don't like in there. You know? And but I I like long form conversations. I I, you know, I I think it's cool to talk about DMT and aliens and all that other shit. And I like, I like being uh, introduced to people I've never heard of before. It's Mm -hmm. just, you know, it's when you'll, you'll see when you watch, but it's when it crosses. There's not a lot of lines I care about crossing, but when it crosses a line into like people dying, I'm kind of like, guys, maybe we should pull back, (laughs) you know? Um, So, so I have three more questions left and then, uh, and then that's it. But basically um, I want to thank you just for coming on because it's been a blast and it's, I love getting a chance to meet you virtually. Um, so first question, uh, if, uh, you could go back in time and talk to your younger self, what piece of advice would you give yourself that would help you today? Oh boy. Um, (laughs) I would, um,
0: I would say, try not to obsess over your mistakes. You have to, you have to learn, you know, I, I is still to this day sort of, why did I do that? Why did I say that? You know, mm-hmm. you've got to realize you're, you're in this life to make mistakes and you just, you can't let them sort of, you know, haunt you. So, um, right. I think I'd say, um, live your life and don't, don't obsess over things that you did wrong.
1: I love that. That's great advice. Um, Next question is, what had to end in your life, good or bad, for you to wind up where you are today? What had to end mm-hmm. in my life?
0: Um, you know, I, um, I started out, I, I went to school, I ended up at school in Berkeley, California, and I, um, I worked for a year in San Francisco. Uh, I got a My first job was for a magazine called Saturday Review. Uh, that that went bankrupt when I was <laughs> after <laughs> six months after I went to work for them. So it was a big blow because that was a big job for me, a kid just out of college to get. As a, I was a copy editor on a magazine, a big national magazine was based in San Francisco, and then suddenly poof, my job was gone, my right. big break. And so that I decided because I had gotten a little taste of working in magazines, I decided that I would move to New York. And I was wow. not a New Yorker. I, I didn't like the idea of moving. I loved California, still mm-hmm. love California. And, um, and but I moved to New York, and that's where my career began.
1: So wow, nice. I, so that magazine had to end for me. To <laughs> that's great. And uh, signature question of the whole show. So if you were living in a real dystopia, and you know, whatever it is, buildings burning, climate change, aliens, zombies whatever, what would be your epic death? How do you want to go out?
0: Oh man. (laughs) Uh, I always just curious what it would be like to jump out of a building. I don't know. (laughs) I I mean, what what are you thinking about on the way down? And (laughs) what is it like when you hit the ground? So if I really had to go, um, that would be something to experience. All right, that's great. That was a great I mean, answer. Yeah, I was Whoa. not expecting that. That was <laughs> don't cool. make don't don't make me live you know <laughs> live up to that one. Anyway.
1: <laughs> well, what's great is is that we we ask each guest this, and we have the artist that does the drawings so for the show draw the, that's going to be the cover of the album. So oh, no. like the we'll see what yeah. she does. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, seriously, thank you so so much. I love your book. I read it all the time. It, it's incredible. I hope you write that article, man. That's going to be great. All
0: right. Yeah, it's such I a really pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. This, thanks. This was a lot of fun. Thanks a I'm lot. I'm glad. Thanks, Thank man. Thank you. Okay. Uh, have a good night.
1: thanks Dystopia Tonight.